it's time to do the show. I mean, shoot the dough with Aaron and Danae, streaming on Mixler every Tuesday at noon central or available to download later in your podcast feed. Unless, of course, you're a patron. Patrons get perks. Time for the show to begin. So let's listen in. Live from a bunker in the heart of the Ozarks, here's Aaron and Danae. Why, thank you, Austin. Yes, thank you, Austin. That's the the first time we heard that today. See, if you were tuned in for the exclusive pre-show that we do live when we record this, uh, you know we had some fun (laughs) trying to get into the show today. I call it technical difficulty yeah. fun. Yeah, all the outtech, uh, all outtakes are still actually available at Mixler <laughs> if you wanted to do yes, there. Yes, click on the show reel and you can always uh, catch those pre and post shows that are only on Mixler. Yeah, we have a good time. Um, it's almost weird to try to shift gears and kind of go into the serious stuff we're going into today, but we have about an hour, actually over an hour long interview uh, with a Christian hip hop artist named Derek Miner about racism and, you know, with Black Lives Matter and Alton Sterling and the stuff in Dallas. There's been a lot of things that have been happening in our culture over the last week, and it feels like this conversation is more relevant than ever. And if you've been listening to Shoot the Dough for a while, you know that No Label Safe is a segment that we've been doing from the beginning. It used to be called No Longer Safe. So if you go back in your podcast feed, just look for NLS. You'll mm-hmm. see all of those there. And uh, this is kind of where we have those deeper conversations. So first of all, this is going to be more of a serious show Mm -hmm. uh, and possibly not a show that you want to have playing uh, around certain people, including little ones, potentially. If you want to have some serious conversations with them, uh, there are... That's up to you. There are... um, We speak very honestly. Derek especially speaks very honestly about racial epithets and those kind of things. So it's, you know... There you are, have to explain some yeah, words. You'll some have to explain language, some attitudes, all that kind of language. stuff. And strong emotion from um, all of us as we had this conversation. But special thanks to Derek for being willing to have this conversation with Aaron and I because it was a really powerful one. Um, we've been talking about it pretty regularly over the last day as mm-hmm. we've just been reflecting on um, our conversation and conversations to follow because uh, thankfully Derek opened the line of communication for us to continue to talk. So if uh, there is anything that you hear in this podcast that you really feel is something that you want us to kind of go back into or get more clarification or dig deeper, if you have any questions or comments or feedback, please feel free to email Aaron and I at Aaron and Danae at gmail.com. And um, hopefully this is just the beginning of more conversations to follow about how we can kind of continue to try to Link arms together and work towards equality. I'm excited in our country. to excited to play this for you. Excited to continue to have this conversation, Danae. Uh, it just kind of goes straight into our full interview with him, and so we need like some sort of sound effect. I didn't load one up, so you need to give us like a whoosh or something before we actually get into the interview, and then you'll just you'll hear the three of us talk for uh, about an hour or so. Oh, I got it. Ready? I got it. Ready? All right. Ready? Hello. What's up? You're there. Hello. <laughs> yeah, I was there uh, just pretending to be Jay-Z. <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Shit. Shit, baby. Shit, boy. Shit. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What's the, uh, Not much, man. Thanks for your time this morning. Um, I was just thinking of the guy. I can't remember his name on SNL that does all the amazing impersonations, uh, impersonations of the rappers. Oh, um, uh, Jay Farrow. Yeah, Farrow. He's yeah. incredible at that stuff, man. He kills it. Yeah, I, I, he had one with uh, Denzel Washington. He had a YouTube video with Denzel Washington and uh, 
and Will Smith getting into an argument over a burger or something. And it was just, <laughs> a, it was the funniest thing ever. That's my first time ever, ever seeing him. He killed it though. Yeah. I, I'm yeah. not going to lie. I, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> you're, you're fired. You're I was going to pretend, but then I was like, no, 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 no. You don't have to pretend to be impressive. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Be comfortable in your skin. That's yeah. right. That is right. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. We heard you uh, chatting with a couple of our friends. I heard you talk to uh, Chris Chicago uh, yeah, a little bit. Uh, and. Uh, Mike Couchman as well is, you know, obviously a boost and, and one of our close friends. And we thought, man, we'd love to talk to you just with everything that's going on. And now that we're, you know, kind of a few days later and yeah. able to, I think, process a little more that we're past some of the initial emotion of of so many things that happened, bang, 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 right in a row. And to be able right. to kind of sit back together and, and have a conversation about our world, about race, about racism. We do this in a, a podcast segment we call No Label Safe. Uh, it's about mm. removing labels from our life. And instead of talking to an atheist or a homosexual, we're talking to Ida or Brian. So basically what that is, is we kind of talk about different topics that are hard to talk about and kind of take the labels off. One of the cool things that happened when Aaron and I connected is we're both Christians, but we came from really different backgrounds and kind of landed in a very similar p- place in our Christianity. And yeah. we found that um, we can converse about a lot of different types of topics and it doesn't tend to get very like, what's the word, polarized. Mm-hmm. You know, we're yeah. just kind of chill. We might not agree, but we're both, you know, pretty even keeled. Um, right, right. The people who listen to the podcast tend to really be excited about the segment because it allows them to listen to a conversation where we don't necessarily all land in popsicles, rainbows, and you know happiness, but we are, <laughs> <laughs> but we're having a dialogue. And and the point yeah. isn't to convince each other of anything. The point is to listen, talk. Yeah. talk and listen to each other in in those kind of things. So we've talked about, as mentioned, topics you know from atheism to homosexuality to. Uh, we had a mega church pastor on and talked about, you know, what it's like to be, you know, a church, you know, a pastor of a church of, you know, thousands of people. Uh, just, right. you know, whatever those kind of things are that, that people can kind of feel labeled with. One we haven't touched on yet that we are um, that we are really hoping to have a great conversation with you about is the idea of race and racism. And uh, especially in our country with, you know, everything that's happened recently, uh, sure. more and more people are having those conversations, which we think is a great thing, because until you start opening up about that stuff. Mm-hmm. You can't find that common ground and you can't find understanding. Right. Absolutely. I totally agree. One of the um, the results of sort of the last week has been um, just so many more people in my circle, uh, which as a, you know, I'm 35 years old, white female raised in the Midwest, Springfield, Missouri. So yeah. I and I was raised by parents who told me and, and taught me and showed me all about equality and love. And so. Truly and honestly, until this last week, I don't think I really had a real wake up because I haven't really been faced with the multitude of uh, really dark opinions out there, <laughs> you know, about yeah. about race. And so I'm kind of like personally and in my circle, there's a lot more conversation than I've ever experienced in my whole life about uh, racism in America. And I've never even in my language said white people black people it's one of the first things i noticed about danae when she would you know want to describe some way you know somebody 
she would very she would stay away from saying you know a black person or a white person yeah, no, or no, an Asian never done or that. it's just not something that it's like the the guy in the green shirt yeah you know yeah. what I mean and and that's yeah. my life so all of a sudden it's like okay that's my life and I've enjoyed it but that's not necessarily reality and so right. I'm, I'm acclimating you know what I'm saying so yeah. I've not wanted to go talk about racism or race because I've just not been comfortable with it but now I'm like oh it's not about comfort. This is about yeah. having a conversation and trying to really figure out where we can go and move forward. So that's kind of a little bit about me. Yeah, I'm glad you shared your background. I think that would be beneficial as we get into this conversation for each of us to kind of yeah. share our, our background with race, racism, you know, how it's impacted us. You know, uh, Derek, why don't you just talk a little bit about yourself as a black man growing up in this country? You know, how has the issue of race showed itself in your life and made you kind of who you are today or, or you know, informed that in your life? Yeah, it's funny. Uh, as I hear what you're saying, I'm like, man, that is awesome. You know, I think uh, it's great that your parents fought for you to see people as people. Um, unfortunately, being black in America and being part of the minority culture, there's no there's there's very few times when my race doesn't make me stick out. I mean, you got to think black people are 13 percent of the population. So my race is going to stick out when you when you think about intersecting with the majority culture. So and it's not always a negative thing, but it's just a, it's just a thing. So I think the first thing that has to get established is it's really easy for a white person to say, man, I don't see color or I don't um, you know, I've never had to think of that. That's because nine times out of 10, you don't have to go to a black business that's owned by a black person if you don't want to. I mean, you're part of the majority culture, so everything is ran by the majority culture. I mean, it's the idea of I heard someone say it's 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 like this, it's like a it's like a left-handed it's like a right-handed person not understanding how much of the world is built around what they do. Like a left-handed person is constantly have to make adjustments because everything is made for a right-handed person. You know, and I think, you know, far as for me, my first intersection with race was at a very young age. I was I was eight, maybe. My dad lived in these high-rise ap apartments, and I was just playing on the elevator, like being being a goofy little eight-year-old, playing on the elevator, running around, and I saw this lady. She was this older white lady. She had a big white afro. I'll never forget her face. <laughs> uh, she had the coolest afro ever, uh, really. I mean, it was round, shaped up perfectly, and uh and I remember getting, like, playing on the th on the elevator. And I guess, you know, I probably hit a whole bunch of buttons. And I remember her saying, get out of my way, you stupid nigger. I'll never forget that. Wow. And I go upstairs and I tell my dad uh, what happens. And he gets mad and cusses the lady out. And that was the first time I realized I was different. Like, maybe not that I was different, but I realized that people noticed I was different. Right. Um, you know, and I was I was living in Michigan. So then you fast forward to my my um my my high school. I went to a school that was a K through twelve school. It's called a unit school. So the people that you're friends with from fourth grade, you're gonna be in class with them all the way up until you graduate. Whoa. So there's no there's no changing of anything. And I was the only black kid in my class for the longest time. So I remember people would say just certain things. Like I remember my first day at school in that fourth grade class, I remember I was getting off of the um, 
off of the bus and I had a kid, I had glasses, I'll never forget this. <laughs> this is burned into my brain forever. But I got off of the bus, no one talked to me the whole time and when I got off of the bus, I had a guy spit a loogie and I remember it running down my glasses. Wow. And he, and he yells porch monkey out of the uh, bus as it takes off. And they were bigger than me, and I was by myself, and I just kind of had to just deal with it. I mean, and I could take you through countless things, being called a, rac- a coon, uh, being called, you know, having rebel flags shoved in my lockers when I opened them up. And uh, so that's why it's funny when people talk about heritage, not hate. I was like, I've, I've never had anyone have a rebel flag and use it in a way that was uplifting <laughs> uh, for me. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that's just me, though. You know, maybe someone else's experience is different. But so my my situation with race is, if we're talking today, I have no clue how. I mean, like most of the my fans are are predominantly white. I can say that easily. I I, I do a lot of shows in white evangelical circles with uh, with in churches, and I mean, the Lord has really worked on my heart to where I don't harbor any bitterness towards a whole race, I just I I have very little tolerance for racial injustice. And that's on the on any color. I have very little tolerance for a black person, you know, calling a white person, whatever, and I and vice versa. And it's funny because even today, I remember I did a show and I had a I had some kids on stage while I was rapping. It got quiet and some kids was like, I bet your middle name is Tyrone. You know, and, and just like just really insensitive stuff. And this is me as an artist, like pouring my heart out on stage and having kids say that and having their parents not really correct them. And it was funny because later on that day, you know, I had a guy tell me a story. He said, this is this is last year. The guy tells me, he says, yeah, you know, uh, I, I tore my ACL and I told my surgeon, I said, hey, can you give me one of, a, a black person's cadaver ligament so I can jump higher when this is all over with? Wow. And I'm like, you've brought me out to perform, and you said this to me. Like, and I don't think, and I think he literally thought that was gonna be a joke. I was gonna be like, yeah, yes, <laughs> that's right. hilarious. I think he thought I was gonna laugh, and I just kind of looked at him perplexed, like, what? Yeah. Like, what are you saying? Like, so it's just funny. Like, when we talk about race, I'm not, like, I think when people think racism, they think racism in a sense of, Ku Klux Klan, the most extreme version of it. But I think it's not that that scares me. It's the small racial biases that everyone has. That's the most frightening thing, the most, the more nuanced version of racism. Uh, yeah. But, you know, as you deal yeah. with, as you deal with that kind of stuff, you almost start to see, you know, cause I think what you were saying was you didn't feel like his heart was in the wrong place. Nah. Uh, it's just his mind was in the wrong place. There's a, there's an ignorance there, mm-hmm. you know, and there is a, there is a slight difference between ignorance and hate, right? Like there, absolutely, you know, absolutely. And, and part of the the battle, I think, for all of us, myself included, is figuring out where we're ignorant and being willing to educate ourselves and change, even if we don't understand it, because we know it's hurting someone else. Talk there a little bit go. about Aaron, like your like who you are too. Sure. Um, because I feel like when when you kind of come out of that, that's a really good place to talk. Is that feeling of moving from a place of person? Like for me, I mm-hmm. am moving out of a maybe not ignorance, like on some levels. Like I'm hearing your stories, Derek. And I'm like, oh, I'm not like that. Oh, I don't yeah. have friends like that. Oh, I, <laughs> yeah. I I'm glad I don't know that. You know. But at the same time, I'm like, 
but I still have a level of ignorance I because think, I'm inside such a bubble. You know what I'm saying? So I'm kind of curious. About I think one of the most common ones, and I think one one of the ones I have been guilty of in in the past, um, before I, I was made aware of it, was the idea of um, saying something like, "Oh, that that guy's so well spoken," or you know something oh, like that. Yeah. As yeah. If, you know, yeah. As, <laughs> yeah. and it's just like you know, I, I I meant that as a totally as a compliment. But would I have said it if it were a white person? You know, did I just say it because? I'm not used to somebody who's black speaking the way that I speak or, or whatever. So kind of dealing with those kind of issues. And a lot of that ignorance comes from, and Danae, I'd be curious to hear, did you grow up uh, with black friends? Did you have, mm-hmm. yeah. okay. Yep, I so, grew up with black friends, dated black guys, yeah. Uh, I, I am totally different. I grew up in a community that was literally 99% Caucasian. So, there, I mean, it was in Southern Ohio and there were, I mean, there just weren't any black people that I came into contact with. I think the first black person I knew was in college. So, you know, I am completely separated from that culture, from that environment. I mean, obviously I knew of, you know, American history and, you know, and studied slavery and, and I knew of, you know, you know, all the, the civil rights and that kind of, you know, like I learned that stuff, but that's different than actually having a personal friend or somebody that can, help teach you, you know, the nuances of what, you know, how cultures are different. Now, or... I do want to say, though, that my friends, my friends group was, you know, large in time in school, which I didn't enjoy school. So I didn't really invest in the friends of school. And I, I didn't really like get into culture. I didn't have someone being like, and this is how this works. And, you know, this is this right. is this is my time yeah. to really, yeah. you know, learn because that's another thing that Derek, I really love that you said, be a student. Mm. I loved that yeah. because if there's something that I, I, I am not somebody who knows a lot about this topic. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah, here to learn. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, yeah, yeah. and that's, what's important is to keep listening. And, and so my, my experience has been, uh, as someone who loves people, um, and I, I've never felt anything ill towards anyone because of their skin color or because of where they come from, but to fight the kinds of racism that you're talking about that are more institutional, that, yep. that feel more, you know, um, I, I want to say subtle, but they're only subtle to me because I'm not aware of them. You right. know, those are the those are the things that I think, you know, as we go through what we've gone through recently, that I hope more and more people are willing to listen. I love the conversation. Maybe we'll we'll jump off into this a little bit and and hear um, some thoughts on this. I love yeah. the conversation that's happening on the Black Lives Matter, uh, just as a phrase, and yeah. the the people I see in my own community who are fighting against people saying, well you know, hashtag all lives matter, that they're not understanding, you know, that black lives matter isn't about other lives not mattering. It's about, you know, black lives mattering as well about being, you know, uh, about fighting that oppression. So Derek, can you speak to that a little bit about kind of the black lives matter movement and what that means to you personally and kind of how you've seen that? Yeah, I got, I have tons of thoughts on that. Uh, first off, when we talk Black Lives Matter, when you say Black Lives Matter and then you say there's the All Lives Matter and then there's Blue Lives Matter, let's be clear. All Lives Matter and Blue Lives Matter is not a movement. Those are not movements. I want me to tell you why, because there's no one protesting. There's no organization there. Like no, like that is, Those were literally things that were brought to smite Black Lives Matters. Right. Like, let's, let's be clear with that. Like, like there's not an All Lives Matter movement. Because when, uh, what's his name? Uh, I forgot what the name of the kid was. Kid just died in Fresno. Uh, Dylan, uh, I forgot his last name. His name is Dylan, though. He got killed by the cops. And I'm like, where's the All Lives Matter guys at? Like, like every, like when you see, like, why are the All Lives Matter guys not 
protesting with the Black Lives Matter guys. Like mm. the, the reason why they're not is because they don't exist. Like that's literally like the middle finger. Like let me ah, well, all lives matter, but it's not really a movement. It's not a passion. It's not a. It's not a. It's not a. It's not a fight. Like it's 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 literally just to smite. Yeah. Oftentimes, now I can't say that for everyone. Obviously, I know I have to be diplomatic, but I can't say that for everyone. But I I know normally in a context where I see it, it's usually with someone to say, "Hey guys, all lives matter." Which now that's which if I was to say another thing, I'm like, okay, so if we were to have a 4K right now in in Ohio and say, "Hey, we're gonna do a 4K for breast cancer." That doesn't mean that lung cancer sucks or doesn't matter or is not important. That just means right now we're focusing on something that is very, very serious. It's the uh, month of October. It's breast cancer awareness. We're having a 4K. That doesn't mean lung cancer doesn't matter. It just means or doesn't mean that uh, thyroid cancer or it doesn't mean that throat cancer are of no value and don't need to be eradicated too. It's just saying that we're focusing on this certain thing so my um brother-in-law is a black man his name is alex uh married my husband's sister her name is holly and they have a son together named ricardo and you know they've had to have a lot of conversations about you know what it means for them to have a biracial child for him to be male for the expectations that are going to be coming on him as he grows up and you know he's two now so he can wear little zip-up hoodies but when he gets older hoodies aren't an option anymore, you know, just all the stuff that Holly is having to process. And so I reached out to Holly and we have been talking very, very openly about just, um, you know, our struggles with kind of getting into a deeper understanding of what it is like to be raised in America as a black person, which is hard to do because we don't live that way. Um, but becoming aware of it is difficult. I feel like I'm like, is it so hard to be patient? Like, is it so difficult for you to hear and read people as they try to process, you know, they're saying all lives matter, you know, they're saying, oh, he speaks so eloquently. They're saying these things. Oh, I want a black man's leg so I can jump higher. Is it hard for you to be patient in that moment? Because as somebody who is a student myself, being a student to you, the teacher, I, I'm looking to you to kind of guide through. Like I'm just still working through my anger <laughs> personally. Yeah. And then I think about all of the years, the hundreds of years of patience that have had to be just continually taught person to person to person to almost just be willing to outgrit and outlast the horrible injustices that happen apparently on a regular basis. And that's just so hard for me to accept. Like it's just hard for me to believe that this is the world we live in. So like I'm kind of feeling discouraged and bummed out and I'm like, I can't even imagine how, you know, in general it feels to be a minority that is hated on, you know, like, oh gosh, I'm about to cry. Mm. I just can't, well, I just can't believe this is like the world we live in. It's just it, well, like, this sucks. It, it does. It does. And I think the beauty of this is, is that there's this, we're having this conversation. Look at this see this is what the gospel is right this is what the potential is for our, our world is that through these hurts and through these pains 
if the church would rise up and say, let's have a conversation, you see moments where people begin to get it. And you see moments where the church begins to live out that Acts 2, 3, 4, when they were bearing one another's burdens and they were taking all of their resources and saying, here, let's do what we have to do to make this body body work. And I think this is what's happening DNA, we're seeing you two come together and say something's wrong here. And I think that's all that black people ever have wanted is there's no like, I want to be bigger or better. It's just equality. It's just, I want people to feel my burden. I want people to say, like, oftentimes I get, we get backhanded when we say, hey, there's a problem and we get backhanded. And I think what I'm thankful for is that I'm getting a platform to be able to say, this is what I feel. This is what's happening. And you're like, okay, yeah, I think so. You know, and I, but this is, th- th- there is hope. And the hope is in Jesus. The hope is in the fact that we know whether one day God eradicates all, he, one day he's going to eradicate all sin. And he's going to, and he's going to make this world perfect again. And and that's what I hold on to is knowing that whether I die and my burden is just to be caring and being patient and being loving with people, even though they uh, may be indifferent to my struggle or they may even add to my struggle. I know that one day Jesus is coming back and that I'm able to I'll be able to rest then, you know, and, and Jesus was persecuted. So. I mean, if the person that I worship was persecuted, he said, if you want to follow me, you got to carry your cross. So I'm like, if this is the cross I have to carry, then I'll carry it. But at the same time, I also want to fight to say, like, like, these are real issues that the church needs to address, you know? I think there are different opportunities to respond, right? And I think what becomes overwhelming that Danae's dealing with and I deal with as well is, when we really start to put ourselves in your shoes, which I think is so important uh, for all of us to put each other, uh, to put ourselves in you know each other's shoes, it's kind of the reason, one of the reasons we do what we do. Um, when we do that, it gets overwhelming to think of how much you have to deal with this. You know how many times it happens, you know, and that you have to continually find the proper way to respond. You know, continually yeah. to have that patience or to or to you know. So, for instance, a man says something to you to be able not to laugh. Because it's not funny, but yeah. also be able to have a moment with him to maybe teach him something he didn't know or even just give him a little bit of grace or whatever. Uh, and those are just the smaller things. That's not even talking about responding to the bigger things like Absolutely. when another black man gets taken out by, you know, a cop unnecessarily and to have to think, you know, how easily could that be me? You know, and to have yeah. to put yourself in that situation I just I think it gets overwhelming and how do you handle that? Like what do you do to, you know, respond to the things small and large in your own life? How do you process through it? The gospel is applicable to every aspect. And I think what I do is I just try to continue to do what the Lord says that we are to do. And that's if someone uh if someone wrongs you, you know, you've to forgive them seventy times, seventy times in a day. You know, and I think that's what that is, is like, you know, I mean, the Bible speaks about loving our enemies. The Bible speaks about us, fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, self-control. It's having that grace and knowing that, um, you know, seeing people for who they really are. Some people are just ignorant to the fact of what they say is offensive. And sometimes you just have to just 
filter that through the gospel and say, well, God, you know, this this is a bit painful, but I know they didn't mean it, so I let it ride. And then for the people that are um, belligerent, you just you, you do what Jesus did and, and you pray for them. Um, I think you- that's on a small level. Uh, yeah, so how, think- do you, how do you process through, you know, the, let me just talk about the most, you know, two recent uh, you know, examples of the bigger events where it's, you know, people human losing, life. yeah, human life that is extinguished. Yeah, I think institutionally that there has to be change. And the only way that change can come up, uh, come about is if people actually say something. Uh, the white evangelical church, you know, mostly, not everyone, but mostly historically has been silent during slavery or even actually actually proponents of slavery and then during the civil rights been silent during the civil rights movement and my hope is that during this time where things are happening that they're not silent now and like since I have inroads with brothers and sisters in that um in that world I'm fighting to say hey guys listen this is the third time (laughs) let's let's try to Let's try to see what we could do to to try to work together to try to stamp this out because we rally for we rally against abortion, we rally for traditional marriage, uh, we rally against sex slavery, sex trafficking. Like, why do we? Why can't we rally for uh, civil rights of African Americans? But the first thing is you have to understand that there is a real issue. Right. So some of that is actually peeling off the the typical um illusions as to what people say is the real issues that's going on so you know like um oftentimes we'll get into conversations at the macro level about systematically what's going on and it's just some people just are clueless as to what's happening like i mean prime example when you look at the drug laws um cocaine and crack are the exact same drug only thing is uh crack has been uh, it's cooked and, and turned into rock form. That's the only main difference. But the difference in time for the same amount of drugs, if you find a person with an ounce of, uh, of, the difference between a person with an ounce of cocaine and an ounce of crack is a 30-year prison sentence. Well, why is that? Well, it's because mostly because black people often are poor and the drug that they use to medicate it's crack, the drug that a lot of rich people use to medicate cocaine. So oftentimes you look and you see a black person with the same amount of the drug, both of them go to jail for different sentences. Um, that's wrong. When you look at the prison that black people are 13% of the population, but we make up 70% of the prison. Wow. That's, that's wrong. That's not, that's not even logical. When you think about that, it's not even logical. Like, it should be that the prison makeup should make up the same. It should look just like what the should look just like the makeup of the population should look like. So the issue is either one, black people are animals, which I don't believe that. I'm black. I'm not an animal. And most of the people I know, are they're not animals. It's either that or there's something seriously wrong at the system at the system, at the, at where the system is at, you know, and I mean, I, I'll be the first to admit, if you listen to any of my music that, you know, within our black uh, culture, 
we have a we have some work to do. I mean, when you think of just crime and poverty and, and, and jobs and opportunities. But the thing is, oftentimes people will say, well, that's the black person's fault. They got to fix that. How can, how can I fix getting a job when I'm not the person that's creating the jobs? It's mostly white people that are in charge of creating the jobs. So how in the world can black people fix that? Like, there's no way to fix that. Like, how, like, like so. Yeah, I read a statistic that uh, a black man who goes to, like, an Ivy League college uh, and graduates has about the same opportunity to get a job as a white man who just got out of prison. Exactly. And I don't know if that's accurate because I didn't do like triple my research. But right. but that's what you read that's what I've been reading about the last week. I mean it's just it, it, and it and that's and this is the subtle biases that we're talking about that people don't necessarily I don't know if it's raging Ku Klux Klan kill all black people. Right. But I think it's the subtle biases that we have in our heart where there's a uh was the Airbnb while black that there have they have people that have literally been like, "Hey, us uh, a black guy's like, hey, I want to get this Airbnb," and the person is like, "Ah, man, um, it's not available. My yeah, girlfriend's just, coming in town. Yeah, something <laughs> just came up. Yeah, <laughs> and then a and then a white and then a white guy and then they get their white friend to say, "Hey, get this Airbnb for me," and they're like, "Yeah, let's do it." That's the reason why it's hard to get a job. The subtle biases there, the idea that black is is worse, like the idea that a black person is going to be lazy, the idea that a black person is not going to get the job done, idea that a black person is inadequate. Like that's the reason why it's hard for a black person to get a job. And the thing is, there's lazy white people. There's lazy Asian people. Like there's lazy people everywhere. So the idea is like when you start saying that all black people are criminals, all black people are thugs, all black people are this and that, or even the stupid idea of black on black crime. I hate when people use that word because like, yeah, black on black crime. I heard someone say, and it's always just used as a distraction. No one brings up black on black crime until a cop kills a black guy. Then all of a sudden, let's talk about black on black crime. So one, I'm always like, well, if you're so passionate about black on black crime, why aren't you doing anything about it? And why do you only bring it up when? Uh, why do you only bring it up when a a, a black guy gets killed by cops? That's yeah. one. But number two is this idea that people kill in the proximity of their community. And in America, white people live with white people, black people live with black people, and it's very, very segregated. So if you look on the numbers for white people killing white people, the crime numbers are almost identical to black people killing black people. Percentage-wise, people kill within their proximity. So if I live in a community, I hurt the people that are closest to me. So black people hurt black people in black communities, and white people hurt white people in white communities, and Asians hurt Asians in Asian communities. That's like that's that's just a distraction and just used to further uh, invalidate black people's humanity. And it also completely ignores another huge factor in all of this, which I think is poverty. And the idea Absolutely. that a lot of these communities are so Im- impoverished because it's so hard for that equality to happen that, you know, we know poverty leads to more crime. We know, you know, so I wouldn't look at race as an issue with that kind of stuff as much as I would with uh, economic inequality and those kind Absolutely. of things. Absolutely. And, and, and the thing is, right, the issue is economically... Like I, I mean, like when we look at the economics of how everything is, like yes, you take a bunch of poor people, put them all in the same area, 
it's gonna the crime rates are gonna be higher. It doesn't matter what color they are. Exactly. So, but for some reason, when we look at our system, it's harder for black people to get good paying jobs. I mean, that's that. And, and I don't think the answer, I don't think the answer is welfare. I don't know one black person that wants to live on welfare. And most of my family has been on welfare at some point in time in their life. But every black person that I know would rather have a great job over welfare. Like, and, and that's one of the biggest issues. Uh, you know, I mean, I could go on. I mean, there's so many things. Like, it's the idea, too, that people say, you know, they turn civil rights into a political agenda. Like, ah, man, uh, that's just those liberals. I don't think African-American civil rights should be a liberal thing. And I hate when people try to turn this to political. And, it, and I think that's because the detachment from a lot of uh, white people because they're like, this is new to us. This is all, this has yeah. to be something that Hillary Clinton is cooking up. And I'm like, no, <laughs> this is real to me. Like, like <laughs> I've been handcuffed in the back of a police car for no reason. I've been pulled over with a gun out on me uh, for no reason. And I'm, and I'm scared for my life. Like, it's not political. This is real. Like, this is not, poli- and politics can't fix it. And the last thing, I know I'm ranting, but no, the last good. thing, there are a lot of, you know, very liberal, non-conservative people in the Black Lives Matter movement. But my question is, where is the um, conservative Black Lives Matter movement? Like, like I hear people in the church always want to say, well, Black Lives Matter is this, Black Lives Matter is that, Black Lives Matter is this. But I'm like, where is the movement from the church? Like, as a black man, as a black man, like, I'm like, where... Where is the white evangelical people that stand up and say, you know what, this is wrong, and I'm starting a movement, and it's gonna be filtered through the lens of the gospel? Where is that at? Because I don't, I don't see it. I would, I would give it a shot. Right. I, I would check it out if it if it existed. But you, know, you so, get the impression though that if it, if it wasn't called Black Lives Matter, whatever the conversation around racism is, there are going to be a lot of voices that are adding to it because and and, and trying to take away from it. Because that's what people do when they're afraid, when they're afraid of change, when they're afraid. Like, I wonder in in my life, I'm like, okay, are there so many people trying to discount, discredit, uh, you know, or go in and dismiss? Because, like, it's, it's like there's so many voices that are in our community right now because of the vastness of the Internet. We can hear so many people's opinions. Um, and, and there's so many people wanting to just take away from a very simple fact that one man killed another man. Like, mm-hmm. can we talk about just, you know, that, that, that's all like, can we just all agree that that's not okay? Okay. Then the rest of it, we can, you can work out on your own time, but let's get to like the very simple boiled down version. That's not right. And, and I, I'm watching, um, you know, something that Alex has pointed out is something that happens frequently, which is you know, a black man is killed and then all of a sudden it's his entire record. And we're trying to dismiss that it's like, it's, oh, it's okay that he was murdered because, you know, he had this happen to him and he had this on his record. I kind of feel like that happens a little bit in Christian lifestyle too, where it's like, um, oh, well, you know, you're divorced. So we're going to need you to, you know, step down out of your position. Like, Mm. oh, you've just been dismissed as a person because of something that we can pin to you. But when you are in like this culture where you're being dismissed because of your race, like it's 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 more than that. It's more than just I think Alton had 
I saw somebody post something and I was so furious. It was like Alton Sterling. Yeah. Okay. It was like his entire like history of, you know, what has happened to him being arrested or whatever. And it, and I'm like, I, I like really, a rap sheet or yeah, something. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, are you trying to say that because he was arrested at some point in time and for whatever, that that's okay that he was murdered? Like, is that what you're actually trying to say? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to just find my peaceful place right now because <laughs> uh, I, I, I cannot handle this much like that's that's ridiculous. That's stupid. Yeah. Why can't we all just be together and just say, OK, this is wrong. You know, right. like, yeah. And then it's like, oh, I in a way feel really, really bad for you that you are that ignorant, that mm-hmm. you really feel that way, that you can dismiss human life because of something that they did. But the only way that I can relate to that is in my being judged real harshly in the Christian community growing up. Mm. So I like I'm like okay even though I have zero rights to try to relate to you know any African American on that level and I would never try to and I I'm very aware of my whiteness mm-hmm. you know like I almost mm. feel like I don't even want to say anything because I don't have a right to say anything because I haven't been through it but I'm trying but to relate But that's part of the problem too though but part of the problem is in a majority culture where the majority is white if everybody who's white goes oh I I can't say anything because I don't relate then there's a real silence that happens instead of saying, okay, I haven't been there, but I still have something I can say. You know what I mean? I think that's why I've danced around the topic, you know, even with my friends who are black, who I know would have a conversation about race with me. I know they would, because it's not like I've been trying to stir the pot or anything. But now I think more than ever, it's important for us to figure out how to relate and to figure out the ways that we can kind of go in and find that. Like I'm in pain as I cried just a minute ago. I'm feeling it, you know, I'm feeling like the injustice of it and how this needs to change in our culture. But I'm like, how does it change one person at a time? Is it unfriending people on Facebook? Yeah, maybe. Maybe I don't want to have, you know, racial conversations on my page. And that's my right to just be like, OK, I don't want to have this in my soup. <laughs> like, You mean negative, your racist conversations. Not appreciated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like, yeah. so that's part of it. Yeah, I think it's definitely the conversations are great. And I think it's also... You know, I think, again, you know, and I'm a Christian, so I'm going to be really critical of the church, but I think just the church standing up and doing something about it, organizing and and, and, doing, and doing things to help further further act, legal action to uh, fight for the rights of the, of the ones whose rights are being suppressed. Like, I, I mean, I, I look oftentimes and I'm, and I'm like... Man, it, it it saddens me that I see, oftentimes, I mean, you, we'll see people send money overseas forever, but they won't send money to Chicago. Like, they only use Chicago as a scapegoat. Like, I'm like, send a mission trip to Chicago. If you're going to send one to, uh, if you're going to send one to Kenya, you're going to send one to India, send one to Chicago. Like, understand why things are happening in our culture like it's not it's not by chance and happenstance these things are designed these things are it's a system that needs to be rallied against and needs to be reformed that i mean at the end of the day that's really what it is there should be no way that i could look that i could look on tv see a person get gunned down 
and the cop not be held accountable for that. That is just unacceptable. As a taxpayer, as an American, I was born here, I don't know nothing else but America. Like, as a taxpayer, there's no way, like, a police officer is a citizen just like me. And it's a hard job. And I'm not going to sit up here and act. Look, there's some places in some neighborhoods that I wouldn't go. Like, just because you're black, you don't get a free pass to go wherever you want. Like, there's some places that's like, man, these are dangerous areas. And I understand as police officers, one of my good friends, uh, Bill Fitzgerald, is he's a state trooper. And in Tennessee, you don't know this because it didn't hit mainstream media, but a state trooper got killed because a guy, uh, you know, a guy, he went crazy and started shooting cops. And... Like, so I, I know how painful this is and how hard this is on both sides. Like, I like I, I fear for my buddy Bill. I don't think he's on patrol now, but, you know, he got friends that are on patrol and, and all that stuff. So, like, I understand that. But then at the same time, if you can bring the Aurora, Colorado guy that shot up a whole movie theater with automatic rifles and was going to his car to get more, if you can bring him in for his day in court, if you can bring in Dylan Roof, who killed nine people in a church, if you can bring him in for his day in court, well, doggone it, you can bring Alton Sterling selling CDs on the side of the street yep. with a gun in his pocket in for his day in court. Like, I'm not trying to make a saint out of everybody. Like, every black person that's been killed by police is not a saint. But at the same time, we have a justice system that's supposed to give people their day in court. And even the justice system is corrupt when we look at the numbers. But at the very least, we don't have to kill the guy. And, and then I hate when people say, well, he was scared. Like, well, of course he was scared. You're supposed to be scared. Like when you're in situations where it's dangerous, like, yeah, police officers are scared. That's a costly mistake to make when you're scared to shoot a man six times. Or they shot a guy in Ohio 120 something times then the the guy after they shot him 122 times another guy jumped on the hood it was a family uh, a husband and wife neither one of them or boyfriend and girlfriend neither one of them had a gun and shot him hundreds of times all the cops lined up and just executed him then one of them jumped on the hood and shot through the window at him nine more times or 13 more times unloaded into their chests like you cannot tell me. And so in the way that that trial unfolded, it said, since we don't know who shot the fatal shot, nobody's getting tried. Since we don't know who did it, no one gets, no one has to deal with that. It's like, like how long wrong. has that been, that has to have been going on in our society for so long because that kind of language of being able to just sweep those lives under the rug and just turn our eyes a away from justice against the police officers because they don't want to prosecute their own people you know that has to change and you're right this something has got to change here's the hard part it's going to take everyone unifying together and then just realizing we've got to get into the system ourselves like somebody's i'm not good at writing legislation and i don't know exactly how to go about it when one of the things that you mentioned in your interview with mike was to um go to the was it in uh NAACP. Yeah, an NAACP yeah. meeting. I'm going to mention something. Oh, gosh. I, I just knew have you were going to do it, Aaron. I just, I just have to tell you that she oh, was Derek. telling me about this oh, part Derek. of your interview where you're encouraging people, which I think is brilliant, to go to yeah. a, an NAACP <laughs> meeting or something like that. Oh. She says, yeah, he was encouraging people to go to an NCAA meeting. and. Only <laughs> 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 thing you'll you get there is a scholarship. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt that. I doubt that. <laughs> but... Uh, 
but, but yeah. I did. I did. I went and I looked in. There's two local chapters where I live. So I'm like, okay, so that's me going in and just sitting down and going, what do I do now? I'm here. You know, what What do I do? And um, I, I get overwhelmed by things like that where it's like, I don't even know how you're going to change culture if you're talking about how many years was it like how many years has this been going on? Okay, but then we've got stuff going for us. We've got phones. We've got video. It seems like more, more, and more people mm, accountability, whether seems in to be poverty on the increase, or not, sure. like have access to cell phones. Um, you know, was it? I can't remember. Was it? Is it Philando? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Philando Castillo. Yeah, his girl. You know that she was able to just immediately start broadcasting, not just even a video that can be dismissed mm-hmm. broadcast was she on facebook live is that what yeah she went on facebook she live? went on facebook live yeah. it's like we this is the first time in our history as a nation where we have access to instant communication and i think that the more that there are and it, it, what's scary is seeing how violent the police are i was always taught you know police were really happy and helpful and then I'm watching these videos. And I'm like, whoa, 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 yeah. At some point between whenever I was eight and now as an as an adult woman, they're teaching police to really shut off a part of themselves to do their job. Like they're not seeing the humans. And I'm not talking about all police, like you were saying, Derek. There's not. This is yeah. this is. I don't want to make blanket statements. But some of it just, could be in the training. Just like I don't want there to be blanket statements against anybody. I don't want to do the same thing. You know, I don't want to perpetuate the problem here. Um, but. Yeah, maybe some of it's training. Is there something where we can go in and there's a difference with training? Is there a difference in, um, you know, there's just so many different ways. And that's part of my concern is like how what's the right way to go? Um, I just think it's making sure that I don't shut myself back off again and go back into my happy place that I get to go to as you know, a white young woman in America. Denial. Denial. So so many of us have lived in denial. Stay awake. In really seeing racism as a problem that has been in the past, but we're through now. And even you know? if it's just, you know, a few people here and a few people there, you know, it's us finding each other and finding encouragement in, in each other and have continuing to have these conversations. Um, one of my questions that I was going to ask at the very beginning, and I just is like, how is in your friend group? I know you said that you, you talked about your fans and things like that, but in your family and your friend group, like what's kind of what's the vibe right now? Discouragement. Um, like, it's almost to the place where, I mean, we were angry with Trayvon. We were angry with Mike Brown. We were angry with Tamir Rice. We were angry with Laquan McDonald. We were angry with Sandra Bland. We were angry with, it's just discouragement, I think, you know, and it's just the idea of, all right, well, just keep pressing through. Um, It's the range of emotions, I think, you know, far as amongst, my family, you know, my mom is just like, this is just what it's been. <laughs> this is just what it's been. It's not any different. And I think you just, it's a degree of just coming to the terms with it's how it's going to be. And I think for me, I'm like, well, if this is how it's going to be, I'm not going to be quiet about it, you know, because until there's some help, I mean, there's there's nothing we can do about it. I mean, some of it, too, is just beyond fixing. Um, the only thing, like, law cannot leg- legislate your heart. So racism is a heart issue. It's not a legal issue. Like, there's not a law you can put in to make someone not be racist. The only thing you can do is hold them accountable 
for their their biases and 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 their procedures and mistakes. So, um, and I think that's what like I mean I'm I'm not gonna be naive and think that you know it's not gonna be people even listening to this podcast that probably are like man I wish this dumb black dude would shut up. Like I mean I'm sure it probably are and I'm okay with that because that's just the nature of sin and that's just how it has affected our world and we know until Jesus comes back that's not gonna change. But what what what's what's tangible is legislation that says a cop can't just discharge his weapon um, and and kill a man and not be held accountable for that. Get put on paid leave and go fishing somewhere or go chill. Like that's unacceptable. Like I read an article that said a, a, it was a black police cop, a black police officer in uh, St. Louis, and he said. Fifteen percent of good, fifteen percent of cops are gonna do the right thing regardless of who's watching. He said, "There's another fifteen percent that are racist, evil, and will hurt you." And then the other seventy percent, they usually just go with the flow of who they're around. He said, "But the problem is the racist or the or the the bully fifteen percent has such a loud voice because that's the nature of being." Um, that's the nature of of that that it's like a virus. That's the nature of it. So usually people that are going to the 15% is going to do the right thing anyway, they're going to be more humble, more quiet, they're going to be more they're not going to be domineering, they're going to be forgiving. So most people will gravitate if they're going to be like, "Well, I don't want to tick one guy off or the other." Then they're, they're not going to necessarily care about ticking the good guy off. They don't want to tick off the racist guy because they don't want him to get him in trouble or to bully him or to whatever. Then there's also the pressure of, you know, false police officers. I mean, it's a fraternity. They're brothers. They yeah. have to take, they have, you know, they have to watch out for each other. I mean, they're getting, they're, they go through some of the worst things together. So, um, so yeah. they have to have each other, they have to have each other's back. But so what happens is that 70%. They just, they're quiet. They go along to get along. They're like, well, this is my brother, so I got I to gotta watch out for him and make sure, you know, that, that he doesn't suffer. And that's what has to change. It's the culture that has to change. It's like if you look at the uh, – shout out to the chief of police in Dallas. Like I went and looked at his story. His son was killed by the uh, Dallas police officers in the shootout. And this was right when he had became chief. And but one thing that he did that I think people missed is Dallas had a, a like there's a, a show that used to come on called First Forty Eight, and it was it talks about how crazy uh, like how crazy you know it, in the first forty eight hours you have to solve a murder. Dallas was always on First Forty Eight, uh, and it's 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 so it's it's a pretty pretty rough city, but at the same time they had a lot of police uh, brutality cases taken out. And what this what this man did when he became chief of police, he fired 70 police officers. And and he changed the culture there where they went from having a ton of police brutality cases or open cases to like I mean I think it I think it he split them in half or maybe I mean lowered the percentage of cases by by almost, you know, 60%. And that's what has to change in St. Louis in Baton Rouge 
in different areas. Like I think the Nashville PD is pretty good too. Like when you uh, he wrote something about police brutality. That's why it's to change the culture among police officers as to saying what's acceptable and what's not acceptable, and that can only be done internally. Mm-hmm. That means that it's people that you know if they're not doing their job right, they need to be fired. Yeah. Like they don't they don't need to be protected. They need to be fired. So a good police officer can step in and take that place. Sometimes we think uh, what I hear you saying is sometimes we think, that, you know, what it means to be humble or what it means to be, let's say, even a pacifist or something like that is the same thing as being quiet. And that's not necessarily true. You can be boldly humble. You can be boldly pacifistic you know I feel like you're preaching to me <laughs> yeah uh-huh. preach it Aaron <laughs> well I'm just saying you can you can have attitudes of peace and in you know kindness and the fruits of the spirit and all that kind of stuff and do it in a strong way that can be heard by others and seen by others but it needs to happen up the chain into right. places where maybe it's not as easy and you talk about Ferguson earlier in um, in st. Louis I I remember reading that they were going in and they were changing even some of the court and how the the local court works because they found that you know uh, the way that the tickets were being given out you know was almost so oppressive like you would get ticketed for everything, and so you would get caught up in the system, and you would get caught up getting put into jail. And it was kind of fueling the local government essentially, and so they, you know, people went in and they're like, "This can't be the way that the local government works," and start to change local government. And so that's like that's that's good. Um, it's almost like we need to just keep encouraging those people who know how to make those changes and encourage those leaders to make those changes. Which means, like you said, Derek, you just can't be quiet. You have to say. You have to say something and speak up for something. And for me, seeing the images that I have now seen, I have seen with my own eyes what's going on. And that is, I think, a huge component that will hopefully be part of change. And the other part of it for me, you know, besides just going in and hoping that, you know, that there's going to be adjustments in the the police force, et cetera, is our culture. Mm. I am not used to. I, I, I miss like you're talking about like the subtle racial slurs earlier, um, Derek and my my um, brother-in-law Alex and, and Holly are talking about that stuff too. Just the yeah. subtle stuff that I don't even pick up on because it's you know I just don't get it. Mm-hmm. But you can see how people who don't realize that it's actually <laughs> offensive to say things or to believe that that's you know true. I'm not talking about calling somebody a name or whatever. Those are pretty on the nose. That's a pretty obvious one. But the right. in our culture. The things that you're seeing in, you know, television or like even cartoons, you know, they'll like make light of something that's actually really serious and we need to stop like making light of. Does that make sense? Um, yeah. Which And I can't, I don't even know, but you know tons of them, I'm sure, Derek, like just little comments about, you know, people's intelligence. Oh, 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 I saw one the other day. There was a, a black man who was playing a role and he had this like comment about chicken and waffles or something. I was like, that's yeah. that's what it is. It's that, or I'll just be in there eating the watermelon. It like it was those types of things. I'm like, okay, I'm starting to pick up on it. Like, right, this and is it, it, infused exactly. in our culture. Exactly, and like, but and and then there's also stuff like there's shows like I don't know if you ever seen Zootopia, but Zootopia did a great job at talking about, did a great job at at breaking down systematic uh, oppression and what it looks like in a system. Like, I mean, you think about it, the fox. No one likes a fox. Mm-hmm. Foxes don't have any really uh, any real value. But then once the rabbit got to know the fox, she realizes, oh, this guy is really, really smart. 
and 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 he's sharp and he could really be a great police officer if his if his uh predator abilities were pushed to the right way all right a predator prey like i mean there's so much about systematic that, systematic racism and stuff in there that i mean it's it's huge that moment when she's at the podium the little bunnies at the podium and she thinks she's doing yeah. a good job and talking about the fox but really she's yeah. just destroying destroying him, him with all Absolutely. of that moment was like that is exactly what i'm talking about <laughs> yeah yeah it, yeah that is perfect spot on the nose coming to an understanding in our personal lives about what we are consuming and what we think is funny and it's not funny yeah i think yeah. media has a great opportunity to speak to those things in a positive way derek which is one of the things i love about you being able to write a song right the night you know this stuff is happening to be able yeah. to you know to sit in your studio write that thing, get it out. Um, I think it was one of only two things I tweeted that day. Uh, and basically I just tweeted and said, you know, please listen to this. Let's keep listening forever to each other. Um, mm. And uh, and can you tell me a little bit, because I think maybe we can end this interview time together by playing that song for people, um, yeah. if you don't mind, if that's all right with you. But if you talk a little bit about the process of writing that down, what you wanted to say with it, how that came out of you, I'd love to hear that. Yeah, so... I was sitting uh, upstairs. Me and my me and my wife, we were hanging. Me and her, we put the kids down about seven, so me and her can have just some chill time. Without, Amen. Ah, Amen. I've got like, four so, boys, man. I know it. <laughs> yeah, I got two. So, man, you you listen. Hats off to you and and high five when I see you, bro. You, <laughs> man, but uh, <laughs> but you know, I got two boys and uh, which. I think, man, when like my wife was crying yesterday because a uh, lady prayed for her, just praying f- for her heart. Because that's the, that's the thing I think that hurts the most is my wife being afraid for my two boys that you know, if they ever get pulled over for something stupid, it could end in them being dead and then criminalized on television. Well, he shouldn't have been a he shouldn't have had a hoodie on while he was driving or whatever. But I mean, that's a side note. But we were talking and. I was on Twitter and and the video came up and I we watched it and I just was broken. Like I just was broken. Like here we go again. Like how many more of these videos do we have to see? Um you know. I think some of that also goes back to I remember watching my granddad get beat by like eight cops when I was like 12. Um he fought back, but you know they beat him with billy clubs when I was like twelve. Um, and just watching them jump that guy like that, hold him down, it really kind of took me back, probably to when my grandfather got jumped like that, um, and then he, he got shot. And I just told my wife, I was like, I gotta, I gotta go downstairs, and that's always been my outlet since I was about twelve. I had, you know. I'm very emotional, and I think all artists are emotional in a sense. That's why they make great art, because they, like, when we see a color red, we feel the warmth of the redness. Like, we have great highs and great lows. So I think when you see something like that, most artists, it affect them in different ways. And I think it just affected me in a way. I told my wife, I was like, I got to go downstairs and just kind of tinker a little bit. And then I was tinkering. And I looked up, and it was it was you know three hours later, and I had recorded a song, 
And I don't even think I really wrote the verses down much. Like, it was like part freestyle, part writing, you know? Um, and it didn't take long at all. And I made the beat, wrote the lyrics, um, recorded the lyrics, mixed it, and uh, mastered it all in like two to three hours. And it just was because like, it wasn't a song. Like most of the time we write songs, we're like, man, we gotta get that perfect hook to be able to get it on the radio. Like for me, I just was like, I'm, I just have to cry out to the Lord on this music. And, uh, and I also want to be a voice because being a Christian, I mean, being being black, like we talked about the issues with black, but then also being black and being Christian is hard because like you, I'm mandated to, to, to pray for my enemies. Like that's what God, God wants us to love our enemies and love those that will hurt us. And that's a hard thing to do. And I feel like oftentimes in the church, there's not a lot of voices speaking out uh, for racial issues, especially, you know, for guys like me that are in different circles. We're not just in just normal black church circles. So I want to write a song that emotionally would connect with those that are going through the same type of emotions I'm going through. Had very little to do with making my case as to why Alton Sterling's death. I didn't even mention Alton's name in the song, but it's just that emotions of, man, you know, some like we're supposed to be free, but for some reason, every time you know we feel like we're free, there's a chain you know connected to us, and and I think that chain is this system constantly reminds us how little our lives matter, um, you know, oftentimes. So that's pretty much was the whole mindset behind the song. Yeah. See, I know you're probably gonna dissect this every which way, but uh, I hope that while you looking, you see the real pain and the real struggle. Yeah. They don't tell me be quiet. quiet. They don't say I'm stirring up the pot. They don't say I'm too emotional. Yeah. They don't say I need to calm down. Calm down. Usually I hold it in. I don't wanna mess the paper up. Nah. I don't wanna be too aggressive. Nah. That can make you uncomfortable. But do you know what it feel like? Head come scared for your life. Pray to God he ain't had a bad day. This could be your very last night. This is so exhausting. Lord knows we tired. They say wait for the facts like I can't believe my eyes. Wake me up from this nightmare. Tell me this ain't true. Do black men have rights? Do black men better image of God too? Cause if we do, then tell me why we always get shot down. Why we can't get a trial day? Why is that the only answer now? I know that it's good cops worth the officer fish child at my church. But tell me why the bad cops never get to see the justice system work. But I know the Lord's still just. And I know he still love us. But I'm starting to feel in America the justice system mean just us. And I don't have no explanation. I'm just hurt. I'm just hurt. And I know that it's complicated. But it still hurts. We supposed to be free. We supposed to be free. And why I feel like chains hanging on me. Hanging on me, yeah. If we supposed to be free. Why I feel like chains hanging on me. Probably fit.
God and he feel our pain All I know is every time we pray He'll be here to wipe our tears away Lord, We are more than criminals more. We are more than imbeciles more. Our fathers ain't all deadbeats nah. We ain't all thugging in the streets nah. The land of opportunity is only for the ones with opportunity Believe it. And we just trying to catch up yeah. Years after slavery Today. All I'm saying is it's complicated And I don't get all of it I don't get all of it. But all I know is that this pain in my heart Oh yeah I feel all of it, yeah, I, feel all of it. I know the Lord still just and I know we still love us, but it's starting to feel in America The justice system means just us And I don't have no explanation I'm just hurt I'm just hurt And I know that it's complicated But it still hurts We supposed to be free We supposed to be free And why I feel like chains hanging on me Thanks, Derek. I appreciate it, man. And uh, thank you for taking time with us today. Taking time out of your morning. I know you got a garage that needs cleaning. And uh... <laughs> let's just keep talking all day. This is an incredible conversation. <laughs> Listen, we've got a culture that needs cleaning much more than your garage needs cleaning. So we're yeah, absolutely. We are very happy to have this conversation. So thank you for being a part of it. We really appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate you letting me uh, speak for sure. Wow. So that happened. Mm-hmm. That was uh, the first time that I've actually listened to that song was here as we got this podcast ready to go uh, just a moment ago in my time. Yeah. I don't know when you're listening to the podcast now because it's now in the podcast feed. And thank you for listening and thank you for your feedback and thank you for your support. But we uh, do our show with a live audience. And um, so I'm kind of coming out of that whole conversation. What and a great conversation with the live audience today. Such a respectful group of people. And thank you guys so much for your support. Thank you for the Patreon support that we get. Uh, this podcast is made possible by our fans. And we like to thank you every single time we have an opportunity to do so. So thank you guys for giving at patreon.com slash Aaron and Danae to keep the show going. If you have anything you'd like to add to the conversation, let's keep it going. Feel free to email us, Aaron and Danae at gmail.com. Uh, certainly you can tweet us, hit us up on Facebook, wherever you find us. Um, we would love to continue this conversation. And if you want to tweet at Derek Minor, let them know that you listened. It's at the Derek Minor, D-E-R-E-K-M-I-N-O-R. I know some of you in the chat would like to reach out to him personally. That's a good way to do so 
Uh, thank you so much for being with us on the show today. We'll be back uh, next Tuesday. If you want to listen live, check out Mixler.com slash Shoe the Dough. In fact, you can also check out the chat there. So you may be able to go back and read some of the chat from this episode. You can also check out the, uh, we call them exclusive pre and post shows that we do before we record each episode. So we would love to see you there as well. Uh, as always, we appreciate you so much. And thanks for being a part of the conversation with us. They have music almost every night. Oh, so, it sounds so yeah. wonderful. I want to live in cool. Nashville someday. It sounds so fun. Uh, no, you don't. Yeah. Every time you think about living somewhere else, you know you'll miss Springfield. <laughs> that is that is true. That you is just want to pretend that. to live in all these places. <laughs> I need a true teleporter. That. I need a teleport device. That That's is right. what Teleportation. Derek, well, yeah, not think, that far away, though. Oh, oh see. Now, but Aaron, actually, I just said that, but Aaron asked me, was it la- last week if I would get into a teleportation device? And I said no. Yeah. Because I don't want to have my molecules all mixed up and come out on the other side I think with he like was saying, a blend body. I think he was saying we're not that far from Nashville. Not, we're oh, not that far oh, from oh. having teleporters. Okay. <laughs> I misunderstood that. Hey, listen. <laughs> I, I was saying like, what is this girl talking about? <laughs> I was like, all right. <laughs> I was just I was just gonna let you continue on that that story about you. your molecules getting scrambled. <laughs> I was gonna see how long you were gonna go, but uh, I was actually while. talking about in a, in a car. Oh right, okay, <laughs> I'm with you now. <laughs> Y'all are crazy. Uh, yeah, indeed.